Well, I'm turning this morning to that uh, famous incident in the Old Testament and the coming of the Queen of Sheba, queen there, probably in what we say we'll call Arabia, who came to see Solomon, or over to hear Solomon, heard a report about him, and who concluded at the end of her visits that the half was not told me. So my title this morning is this, we don't know the half of it, right? We don't know the half of it. What we find when we come to Christ, when we receive life, well, we thought a bit about that last week, actually, having life in all its fullness. If you like, this is just developing that a little bit further, because that's the fact. You can't say it all, because we don't know the half of it. We can't say the half of it. There's just so, so much. And that is the discovery the Queen of Sheba made. And I hope it's the discovery that we are making. We've come to Christ. Really, whatever we heard at the beginning, whatever we were told when we were urged to come to him, to be converted, that since then, why, we just found more and more. It just gets bigger and bigger. The whole thing just gets larger and larger. And as we grow in the faith, then our thoughts of him become stronger and mature. They become deeper, don't they? So we don't know the half of it. And the Old Testament is preparing for the arrival one day of this this great person, son of God, God himself entering into human history in the person of his son, the word made flesh. Whether it's Moses as the prophet and leader, prophet like me that will come after me and curses everyone who doesn't listen to him. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. One of the Lord said that Moses will rise up and condemn you because you didn't listen to him. You think you're his people. Well, if you were, you'd listen to me, the Lord Jesus told the people of his day. David, king, king as such, wasn't he just? The authority, and at his best, the character that he displayed. Well, this is reminding us of the coming one, the Old Testament preparing us for the coming of Christ. Or Jonah, that's a surprising one, isn't it? The Lord refers to him twice, in fact. Two aspects of his life that are indicative, illustrative, what the Lord Jesus would do. Three nights there in the belly of the whale. Well, the Lord Jesus will be three nights in the earth, buried, and then on the third day rise again, like Jonah. And then Jonah, who went and preached to the people of Nineveh, and they repented. And the Lord was saying, which is more than you people are doing in my day. If Sodom and Gomorrah had heard these, then they would have repented. Tyre and Sidon would have repented in ashes and sackcloth. And Jonah, who preached, and Nineveh repented. And then the Lord said, of course, and a greater than Jonah is here, a greater than Moses, a greater than David, a greater than Solomon. And the Lord uses that expression, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, and there in verse 42, where he makes his reference there to the Queen of the South, the Queen of Sheba. What does he say? He says this, the Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. That's what she did. What she heard about Solomon, what she then came away with from Solomon, left her amazed and speechless. And the Lord, well, rebuked the people of his generation who had no appetite for his words. 
They didn't have to come from the ends of the earth. They didn't have to saddle up and make a hazardous journey. They just left their home, walked down the street and could hear the Lord Jesus and had not a good word to say, many of them of him. Well, sad that is. The Queen of the South will rise up and condemn them because the greater than Solomon was here and yet left no distinct impression. The Queen of the South was impressed with Solomon. How much more she would have been impressed had she been able to hear the Lord Jesus. So it is her testimony that indeed the half was not told me that we're going to pick up on this morning. First heading, a report worth investigating. Sort of reached her ears, a report, hadn't it, there. She heard in verse 1 of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. It wasn't just Solomon. It wasn't just impressed by his wealth and riches, all the animals that he had, all of his trading associations, all of the way in which he had peace and enjoyed such a fame in that way. No, it was concerning the name of the Lord. She was caught by that, Solomon's greatness. She didn't attribute to Solomon, but she knew that there was a God, a true God, that lay behind him. And so this was all wrapped up in her thinking. This was all what was stirring her, animating her. And she wanted to know more. And how much she saw when she came, the king, temple, his own palace, servants, all of the heralds and cupbearers and servants there in his entryway into the house of the Lord, the gold and the glory. Indeed, the Lord refers to that too in Matthew chapter 6, there in verse 29, isn't it? And illustrating how we should not be worrying about today and how we're going to be clothed and the rest of it. In Matthew 6, let me read in verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you, little faith? Well, there's a challenge out there, but there is a glory in nature that the Lord says, (laughs) well, it outranks Solomon in his glory. And what glory it was and how the Queen of Sheba came to hear of it, see it for herself. And there is Christ's glory, a greater glory, his wisdom, the spiritual wealth that he disposes of, what he can dispense. His servants across the world, aren't they? In every place you can name, for every tribe and language, people, nation, his dwelling place, not Jerusalem at its best. Not there in his palace, not the house of Lebanon in that way with all of its cedar wood that's there, not the almond wood that we read of and the gold of a fear. Dwells in heaven, dwells in heaven. Glory outranks even the most glorious dwelling place on earth. Open the magazines, the houses that people have and the places that they dwell in. Well, indeed, but that's nothing compared to where our Lord is, the environment of heaven. So this greater than Solomon, how much more he disposes of, how much more largesse that he can distribute from, the greater than Solomon is here. 
And the report goes on it's about him, doesn't it? People talk to some extent about him. In this irreligious society that we are in, well, there's still a fair bit of talk about him. Still a fair bit of communication, exchanging of ideas about him. Maybe that's us. Maybe those who are listening on the internet, that's you. And of the Lord Jesus Christ, well, what are you doing with him? Have you bothered to investigate the report? Some don't. Some hear it and think, ah, load of rubbish. Don't believe any of it. They won't uh, certainly saddle a camel, make a journey. They won't uh, get out of bed. Don't think it's worth learning anymore. Certainly not worth going to a church to hear anything there. Uh, there's nothing there. And people just say, ah, that's religion. That causes wars. That's all it does. Trouble and strife, division. People all at odds with each other and with everybody else. So they won't even bother to follow it up. Fictionalize these accounts and somehow, well, there it is. You've got to ask these people, how do you know? Where, what authority have you got to place your insights, wisdom, life experience beyond these wonderful writings here? But anyway, they back themselves, don't they, to get it right and think it's not worth the bother. Well, some people bother a bit, a bit half-hearted, but they bother to that extent that they'll hear something of it, be willing to part with a little comfort, maybe, to go to church, hear a little bit of it there. Almost uh, listen to that extent. Oh, but when it gets hard going, when the teachings get hard, when hell is spoken about from the pulpit, well, that begins to frighten the horses, doesn't it, a bit, that? Talking about condemnation, God's a judge. God holds against us to our account our sin. And it's not just oh, the worst of the worst of the worst of things, not just the horrible murders. And, uh, well, I'll be talking about this fellow there when we come to the, the Eighth Commandment and stealing, but some of the, the people and the things that they, they steal, rob banks, steal cars, and all the rest of it there. No, it's all of us. It's those common garden sins. It's those ugly thoughts. It's those wrong words, all of that. When we hear that hell actually is the destination for people with those kinds of sins, ordinary sins, and some people don't like that, don't want to hear judgment, don't want to hear about hell, don't want to know that God actually takes his glory very seriously, in the honor of his name, takes his law very seriously, condemns people on the basis of that law, and so they stop there. And of course, supernaturalism too. That yes, we believe in miracles. Yes, we believe the Lord walked on the water. Yes, we believe he rose from the dead. And that becomes the place at which some who gave a little bit of thought and attention, but at that point they sign off. So that's enough of that. Thank you. That's enough of that. We'll find a church, and there are plenty of them out there, which will give you that. So no, no, no hell. No, God's not like that. Or no, 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 don't worry about any of that. Just a bit of religion, a bit of casual this and a bit of casual that, that'll do nicely. Oh, well. But then some bother a lot, like the Queen of the South. That, for them, there is something in this report, and it's something, isn't it, concerning the name of the Lord. Something in there, and the name of the Lord Jesus, something about him that is undeniably different and undeniably worth investigating. How come? How did he do these things? What wisdom he spoke with? What an incredible life that he should have given it up 
And the way that he did, an unimaginable ignominy, undeserved suffering, and, and then came back from the dead. Well, that's, that's a report and a half, isn't it? <laughs> Who can compete with that? Who rivals that? Well, you'd think in the celebrity culture of this world that, that people are just have famous for doing very little are worthy of more attention. But those of us with a little more wisdom, Queen of Sheba-like, so we know there's something in here. And I'm going to think about this more. I'm going to investigate. I'm going to open that Bible. Might begin to pray. Begin to attend a church. Begin to search out preaching. It'll tell me a bit more about him and help me understand him and know what I should do about what I'm hearing. And the thing is this, friends, wherever you are on the internet, wherever you are, come with your questions. That's what the queen did, didn't she? She had so much. She spoke in verse two with him about all that was in her heart. She realized that she could talk to Solomon, that he understood her and could answer her. That's the thing, isn't it, there, that he had answers for her and uh, she put all the hardest questions she could to him. And there was nothing that he was unable to help her with. So what a testimony for Solomon. But our Lord Jesus Christ can do better than that and exceed that. you got questions, bring them. you got hard questions, we'll bring them. Bring them to me, dear friend, bring them to him. Ask him, ask him to explain. And it's well within his comforts, well within his comfort zone. That's something that he can specialize in. You may have had all kinds of difficult providences. What I've had in childhood, all kinds of difficulties. I am in no place to explain those to you. But he'll help you make sense of it. And he'll help you put a corrective on it and show you within it perhaps what good there could be that comes out of it. And that's what he is able to do. Can you trust him? You might ask that. You're wise to. You can't trust many people in this life. Can you just? What a letdown people are. But she made a journey, didn't she? And you could read in her that she trusted him, trusted the answers, realized that this man, this character, had more than anybody else that she'd ever approached, saw things she couldn't see, answered things in a way that she couldn't could explain things in a way that made sense to her, including about herself, who she was, what she needed to know. You bring those questions to him. You trust in him. He'll explain who you are. He'll tell you what you need to do. He'll lead you from wherever you are and take you forward. Second heading then, spending time with him. Spending time with him. Now, this is where you have to bother a lot, don't you? This is where just a little time, it won't quite cut it. You won't come away with what you need. She went on a journey and she was expecting to stay a while. She wasn't just going to arrive, premier in, you know, put up for one night and checking out the next morning. She, she, she was there. I'm going to stay there. And she wasn't going until she'd emptied herself of all of her questions. That's what she was going to do. She took the gifts that she did that made the whole place just overflow with all these spices. Never seen the like of it. They hadn't when she was done with them. No, she was going. She was going with gifts. She was going to, to as it were, offer something. No sacrifice there that was without cost. No, she was going to cost herself a fair bit. That's a fair bit of gold that she took. Spe spices in great quantity and precious stones. Four camels must have been kind of 
laboring under the load that they were carrying. But she went there with serious intent and with gifts in her hand, like the wise men were destined to do some years following. She was going to spend time with him. She was going to speak with him, commune with him, search him out. She was going to observe him and everything about him. She was going to watch. What's he like? What does he do? Look at what he possesses, what is within his gift to give, what he's built there with God's help in Jerusalem. She was going to note it all and she was going to listen. Here's the thing. She was going to listen. She hadn't come all that way, just full of her own opinions. But she was going to tell him a thing or two. Ah, she was going to show him her, her kingdom. Well, I've got a lot of wisdom myself, actually. Uh, let me impress you with this. Let me uh, try and catch you out with that. No, she didn't have a high opinion of herself. She was a queen. What a humble woman. How teachable. She's in listening mode. And that's the attitude that was a great help to her in learning. We don't listen. We're not teachable. We'll learn nothing. Oh, we Christians are not teachable. Dreadful, isn't it? Learn nothing. Add nothing to what we gain at the beginning. Go nowhere with it. That is so, so sad. No, she didn't come with her own opinions or the opinions of other people. That's often we make our own opinion, but they're not actually our own opinion. They're what other people are kind of impressed upon us maybe years and years ago. Not um, some new book that she's read and uh, that's the thing. And I'll just try and catch her up with that, you know. No, she comes with a, in the best sense of the words, an open mind. She's there to listen. She's there to learn. And when we come to the Lord Jesus, that's how we need to come to him with our own impressions and our own thoughts. We need to be ready to part with them. We need to get rid of erroneous, false Empty ideas, wrong ideas. And as we study the Bible, as we hear preaching or whatever, then we begin to change. We say, oh, I got that wrong. I didn't hear that right. I thought that all my life and it was wrong. <laughs> better go. I better stop thinking that and start thinking something different. That's being teachable. And if it is that many, many years we've cling to some wrong idea or we just held a wrong idea without even realizing it was a wrong idea. It was just there. Just took it in with our mother's milk. And then we realized, no, it's not the Bible. No, that's, that's not about the Lord Jesus. That's something else. And we get rid of it. And we're the better for that. We watch him, don't we, in the Bible. We're watching him. We're wanting to learn. What's he like? What does he say? How does he speak? What are his attitudes? How does he treat people? What does he do at the end? This death that he dies. What does that mean? Why does he do it? How to make sense of this? And this is where we need to be. Seeing his deeper purposes, and realizing that his death was not a tragedy, not some great mistake, not as if, like Peter, we should say, Lord, that will never happen to you. But no, it had to happen to him. So he came. Not his life, 33 years of it, was just a quickly rush through to get to his death. No, unless there had been 33 years of life running up to it, his death would not have been the death that it was. It needed all that life. And in order to give value to that death, we can see that death was the sinless one. We can see that death was the perfect one, the pure one, the righteous one. And yet there he is, and he's dying. And oh, we can see in that. What a palace, can we? He's not surrounded 
there with waiters and the apparel of cup bearers. There's not food on the table. It looks pretty empty. It looks pretty sad. It looks more than that. It looks desperate. He's dying on a cross and he's dying alone. Most of his followers have deserted him. They've gone. Those who had the name of being his servants, his disciples have fled. There are some women from Jerusalem. We credit them with with understanding and empathy that they are there beating their breasts. There are not many there who seem to be on his side. Most of them seem to be dead against him, shouting at him, reviling him, abusing him in what is, as a human being, just a little warmth and little milk of human kindness might have just made them perhaps back off of it. But no, they just piled in. This man died. Such agony, such desertedness, such nakedness, such horror. And in that time, all they could do was add insult to injury by insulting him. This is a death of deaths. So striking, so different, so remarkable. Then what's happening here? And then he foresaw it and embraced it. He took it as being his appointed place and destiny. Well, these are the things, aren't they? For our modern-day Queen of Sheba's, we need to come and ask this of him and spend time to hear the answers. It may not come immediately. It may not come the first day, second day. You may need to hang around a little bit, but he'll tell you. If you wait on him, he'll tell you. And the realisation in our hearts of why he needed to do it lies at the very heart of conversion because we realise something about ourselves and we realise something about himself that is priceless. <laughs> the thing we know about ourselves is to really humble us, that we are sinners, that we are, that we are guilty people, that we have offended God, word, indeed, by all that we are, by just the intrinsic humanness of our constitution, that it lacks, it falls short, it misses the mark. That's what sin is, it misses the mark, it falls short of the 100% perfection of God. And we thought perhaps that God would be satisfied with a bit less than 100%. And it's a shock to the system to realize, no, he doesn't. It requires 100% all the time, every day. And we're undone and we're guilty. And we learn from him of this and what might seem so negative. And in a sense, it is, but it paves the way to something very positive. Who needs a savior unless you need saving from your sin? Who needs one to go to this extent of dying unless that law condemned and forgiveness could only be given on the basis of another dying in the place of the guilty? But when we see that, then he just gets more and more to us. And we see in him, ah, our resting place. We see in him the one that we can place our guilt upon and every demerit all our wrongdoing against God and against our neighbor, all the ways in which we are to be blamed and reproved and all the things that lurk within the murkiness of the depths of our soul that will bring us low and will condemn us, things we may not even know are there. We've not discovered the depth of our depravity. Until then, we see it and understand it. But we don't just stay with that. We then see, but he answers that need. There is the Son of God, all of his nobility and excellence, and all of his purity and goodness, laying down holiness, putting his own just life to bear and seeming injustice 
But no, that is love. That is the love of God. Here is love fast as the ocean indeed. And we see it, and we see it, and we see him. And there we are moved in the depth of our soul to thank him. And he accounts for our sin. Oh, how impure we are. How empty our minds are. Empty our hearts. Worthless, vain creatures we are. Why would God bother with us? Why indeed? But he does. And in such a way that requires of his son all of this. The dying. As well as all the living that went before it. What wretched time he had there at the hands of human beings insulting him, arguing against him, trying to kind of do one-upmanship against him. How, how ungodly. And yet here he is for such people living, for such people dying. And that is love. That's what's happening here. And as we spend time around him in his word, praying perhaps, hearing preaching perhaps, we get that. Maybe it dawns on us quickly, maybe it dawns on us slowly, but dawns on us, it does. And we love him for what he's done. We love him who can love unlovely people like us. We love him that he loved the unlovable, loved enemies, loved haters of God, which we all were. Proud and insolent, Paul describes himself. I did what I did in ignorance and unbelief, yes. We say, yes, us too, Paul. He's the chief of sinners. We'd have an argument with you there, Paul. We, we would argue that point with you. We feel ourselves to be the chief of sinners in truth. And there we find, as Paul found, such, such grace. Friends, have you found that? Discovered it. Is that your possession? Have your eyes been opened? Has your heart been strangely warmed? For there is much to warm the heart when there's such love as this. The Queen of Sheba whence came away with so much more than she brought. And here's the greater than Solomon that is here. So there we are. He has taken all of our guilt, shame and sin, and required it of himself to pay for it, to account for it, to be regarded as blameworthy for it, to be the one who is to be held guilty for it. He, the sinless, pure one has that required of him, requires it of himself. That's what holds him to that task, keeps him on mission, takes him to the cross. And when he's there, where legions of angels could have come and taken him away, where any act of heaven could have scorched and torched all those who were shouting against him, vindicated him. But it would not have been for our salvation if he had our salvation stirred him to the very core of his being. Third heading, final heading, the half was not told us. Well, if you discover that at conversion, I hope you have, and if you haven't yet, I hope you soon will. Let me tell you this, why, whatever you find out about him then, whatever saving knowledge, whatever grains of spiritual truth that are the mustard seed that are all that's needed to close with him, I can tell you this, the half was not told you. And here's the Queen of Sheba. Well, poor woman. She's asked everything and he's he's emptied her. He's been able to meet all her need. He's been able to satisfy her at every point. That the poor woman, we learn of her there. There is no more spirit in her. Her sick, she 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 was finished. Surrender. You you've you've more 
more than dealt with my own concern, my own burden. I came here with certain expectations, and there were high expectations, sure they were. But you've exceeded them all. What more can I say? There she is. There she reports for herself. In verse 6, it was, she says, a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. Fair enough. She wanted to make sure of this. She, she, she felt there was something in this, needed checking out. But, oh, there was more than she can almost have dared to believe. And indeed, now she says, does she not? That, and however, I did not believe the words until I came. And indeed, the half was not told me. I'd heard some pretty extravagant reports. I'd heard people say, well, you really, really should go and see Solomon. You really should. Yeah, you'll, you'll see something there you've never seen before. Okay, she thought, well, I will go. I, I'll put this to the test. I, I will see if uh, he can satisfy my soul and my needs. I have questions. And beyond those questions is the God of Solomon. I have issues in my heart. Why, she says, whatever good I heard, it was only the half that they told me. There's so much more to him than that. So many more things to see. So much more he told me about things I never thought he would. Dealt with areas of my life I didn't even know I had. And that is the prerogative of the Lord Jesus Christ for us when we come. Oh, I hope you found plenty already. I hope you have. I hope you found enough to have been converted with and by. That God has shown you, revealed to you many things about his son. Yes, enough that you have been taken up with him now. Yeah, you've, you've become rather absorbed in him. But I trust you found too. I trust I found. There's so much more. So many more things that he could do. So much else that he could teach us about. New areas, new territories he could take us into. What a mistake sometimes people make to think conversion. That's it. That was it. I've got it now. I've seen it. I've seen his glory. That's it. Done. Um, you know, just work hard to get to heaven, right? Well, no, he's got a happier story to tell us than that. Sure, he's saved you and me from hell. He's saved you and me from judgment. Excellent. And we've never been the same since we had that burden taken from us. But then it's not just so that you and I should... I don't know, just attend church and be diligent in duties and serve and avoid particular things. No, it's a much fuller life than that that he intends for us. And he goes on making an impact again and again and again. And he make an impact upon the power of sin. Power of sin. We just get used to our sins sometimes. We just kind of put up with them in that way and Think nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. We give up asking God that we might change. Whatever it is, sinful thinking, anger, impurity, lust, uncleanness, greed, meanness, lovelessness, fear, old habits. Well, they stay. They stay too long because he has more to give. Power of sin, dear friends, was broken at the cross. The blood that was shed there was not in order that simply the guilt of sin should go. Well, that's good news. But the power of sin also should be defeated and that we should press in upon that victory we see christ more and more his person the god man the bible's account of him and what he does and that's where we read ephesians chapter three didn't we 
Oh, what is Paul praying there? What we're going to see? Well, that Christ in verse 17, Ephesians 3, may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height of that love. To know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Have we had all that yet? Has that all happened to you, to me? Well, it sounds as if there's more to come, and it sounds as if it's worth looking for that. And it looks as if it's in God's heart to give it. There it is, rooting us and grounding us, not in fear note, not in duties, not in obedience, but in his love. And there we're going to be able to comprehend his love. <laughs> to know his love is a curing thing. That is a solace to the soul. That is an energy in sanctification. Want to see sin defeated? Well, you never have enough of the love of God in you and in me to make that an operative thing. Well, what insights he gives <laughs> into ourselves, yes, but into the world, yes. And we see how empty this world is, friends, don't we? We see just how empty it is, how vain its hopes. And we learn more and more. We learn to pity, I hope, the world. I hope we learn to feel sadness that people are offered treasure and choose instead the worthless things of this world that in the end will not bring them lasting peace on earth and won't bring them any peace when they go to hell. And we see these things more clearly, how to apply the Bible to those people, to those situations, to those things. We know more who we are meant to be toward them. What is our calling? What is our taking forth of the Great Commission to precisely those sorts of people? The spirit in which we should go and the attitude in which we should do it. What else, though? What else makes an impact? Well, the impact of Solomon's house was something to see, wasn't it? All that he had there, all the servants, the cupbearers, all the apparel that they wore, all of the things. Well, there's glory, glory to come. There's heaven, friends, there's heaven. And we get a glimpse of it, don't we, in Christ. And we see that wherever he is, it's going to be good. Whatever is his dwelling place is a very fine place indeed. If that is where he runs the house according to his rules, then oh, it's worth everything to be there. And as we've glimpsed it, well, the half has not been told us what we will see in the glory of heaven. Revelation 19 and verse 6, reading from there. And I heard, writes John, as it were, the voice of a great multitude as the sound of many waters and as the sound of mighty thundering saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. His wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. That's a day, isn't it? There's a place. There's gold. There's fine apparel. And it's not just other people wearing it, dear friends. It'll be us wearing it. Indeed, unless we're wearing it, we're imposters. Remember the parable there? The Lord tells, doesn't it? The, the guest who came in, friend, how did you come in here? Not wearing wedding attire. We were speechless. Well, indeed, we got cast out. But the true child of God is there, properly there. 
brightly attired. What a day it is. The bride has made herself ready. The wife made herself ready to meet her husband. Get ready. Think of that. Be ready for that day. What a day. Oh, and the impact of it there grows stronger and stronger. And as we grow older, it grows stronger and stronger. We have given up on this world, haven't we, friends? Giving up on these bodies, tired old bodies there. Well, you say, speak for yourself, pastor. But anyway, I'll speak for myself. Tired old bodies there. No matter what, got a better one to come. And there's a home that we're going to have. And what a place it's going to be. What Solomon's dwellings will look like compared with this. They look as nothing. And the Queen of Sheba was impressed with that. Well, we're going to be impressed with more still. And already there is a promise. And I'm turning to Proverbs 9 here, just a few verses to finish with, beginning of Proverbs 9. Wisdom has built her house. She's hewn out her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also furnished her table. You send out her maidens. She cries out from the highest places of the city. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. As for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Forsake foolishness and live and go in the way of understanding. He who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer, lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a just man. He will increase in learning. Just keeps giving, doesn't he? You come to him who is wisdom. He's got so much good to give. All of these wines and all of these meats and all of the things, solid things, satisfying things. Well, a scoffer hears none of it. Shame there, isn't it? And I think quite a few Christians turn out to be scoffers. They're not listening. They're not gaining. They'll never grow. Ah, if we're wise and learnt, we've been teachable. Then we'll be even more teachable. More begets more. It adds to it. Just keeps growing. Just keeps getting better. We just keep learning and learning. And he's more and more to show us. Well, the body might wear out a bit when we get older, but we're never too old to learn anything. And his table is always full of good things to share. And we have to say in the end, well, the half was not told us. <laughs> I didn't know he could do that. I didn't know he could teach about that. I didn't know he had insight into that, but he does. And he'll have more yet to share with us as we trust in him. Believe for more. Yes, believe for more. And like the Queen of Sheba, our report will be, the half was not told us.